This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. I am joined once again in studio with Jim Sebastio. Jim, good to see you. Thanks, Brian. Good morning. So we want to jump into topic here in a moment. Before we do that, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. If this podcast or this ministry of Practical Shepherding has been a help to you in any way, would you do us a favor and go to the website at practicalshepherding.com. Go to the donate button there and leave a, a financial gift. It's tax deductible and it helps us not just with this podcast, but this growing ministry and trying to to figure out all the things that we're trying to do and what we have the money to be able to do. So thank you for those who support us and support us in so many different ways, not just that way, but in so many other ways. Also, if there's any of you who listen and want us to address a topic or you want to write us for any reason, you can contact us through the through the website uh, and just go to the contact page and, and reach out. If there's a topic you want us to tackle, please feel free to to let us know what that is. In fact, uh, in not this episode, but the next episode is going to be a, a topic that someone even asked us to address. And so we're going to start to, to do more of that as you write in and give those. So please be mindful of that. And the last thing is to go to iTunes and write a review for us. Helps us to grow and helps spread the word of the podcast if you write us a review there on, on iTunes. Jim, as we jump into this topic, this the, the topic we want to discuss is is in regard to the pastor as doing the work of an evangelist. So we know Paul uses that phrase that I'm going to let you explain in a minute. But pastors are called to be shepherds, shepherds of God's flock. We we're, we as a ministry just wave that banner all the time. But we do see that there is a role for a pastor to play in regard to the evangelistic work. And I think there's a lot of confusion around what actually Paul means, and not just what Paul means, but what does it mean for a pastor to do the work of an evangelist? So that's what our topic is today. I'm going to ask Jim to kind of set this up first from a biblical perspective. So Jim, will you do that? Yeah, I'll try to be quick about this, Brian. Uh, obviously, that, that, that phraseology, do the work of an evangelist, comes out of uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. And as in anything you try to come to, you want to have your basic hermeneutics. So you want to look at the meaning of the words. You want to consider its context. You want to consider uh, how that word is used in other passages. And so do the work of an evangelist. I just want to say at the outset that what our translations have done, I think every translation that I'm aware of does this, is that you transliterate from the original language. You, you take the word which we call evangelist, which essentially, I think we were to try to translate it, it would be something like be a gospelizer, uh, emphasize the good news, mm -hmm. or be somebody who speaks the good news. Right. It's only used two other times in the scriptures. Once it's used in, in reference to Philip, who was a deacon, but it, it, he is referred to by Luke in Acts chapter 21.8 as Philip the Evangelist, and then it's used in Ephesians 4.11, where Paul talks about the offices that uh, the risen Christ had given as gifts to the church uh, for their building up and for their edification. He gave some to be apostles, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers is uh, found for us there. And there are, I should have also added prophets, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. The only one of those that we really have uh, qualifications given and, and that we understand, at least I understand, is really as being a perpetual office in the church 
is that of the pastor teacher. Yeah, right. Uh, and so there is debate about whether that's an ongoing uh, office. Obviously, some debate whether prophets and uh, apostles are also in the church. But I think the general understanding uh, has been uh, that pastors and teachers. So you try to understand. So what does it mean then? Well, in the context, I think the, the context of it is is very interesting. Uh, it comes in a series of exhortations that the Apostle Paul gives. And he gives it in light of the fact that there is going to be a prophesied doctrinal rebellion within the church that Paul talks about. And so he charges Timothy in the sight of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who will judge the living and the dead. This is in first. This is Second Timothy. Second Timothy four, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Preach the word. We all know that. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, where the time will come when they will not be uh, endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, he's talking there not about society, not just talking, but he's talking about in the church that will happen. And so what's he to do? What's, what's Timothy to do? He sees this happening in the church, people he loves, people he cares about. He's, he's doing what he's told to do, he's preaching the word, but that word's not being received. People mm-hmm. would rather listen to this or listen to that. And so he says, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so I I think, Brian, at least in its initial context, the initial context is ecclesiastical. And everything that Paul has been writing to Timothy, and and why we call them the pastoral epistles, um, what he writes to Timothy and he writes to Titus, primarily have to do with the life of the church. And so I don't want to spend too much time getting into this, but uh, I I know you want to use this in some other context, so maybe it would be good just to say a few of these things out. So you consider when Paul says, fulfill your ministry. Now, if that phrase, do the work of an evangelist, weren't there, if that were excised, and it's not, but I just want to say if it were not, you would say, well, all of this has to do with his life in the church. He's, he right. is, he's to respond to doctrinal drift by preaching doctrine, which is one of the great things Paul calls he and Titus to do. Speak the truth, give sound doctrine, give sound doctrine that produces sound lives, that is godly teaching. You see that oh, and particularly in a, in a place like Titus chapter 2, how mm-hmm. the gospel affects old men, young men, old women, younger women, slaves, and even uh, those in the ministry, how it has an effect on godly living. Uh, he deals with the ordering of the church. I have left you there so you can set in order the things that remain, appoint elders. He talks about uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 how the church of God is to be ordered in regard to leadership. Male and female roles, prayer, all of these things are part of a man's ministry. And then also the repeated exhortations to watch over your own life. And so at least in this context, the question is, does he then just throw in this whole matter? Oh, and by the way, in light of all the other things, is there a way to understand being a gospelizer within a pastor's within, ministry? Within the pastor's right. ministry, mm-hmm. and that is, all right, it, these matters may evidence that you have people under your ministry who are not converted. What do you right, do? Right. Yeah. What do you do? You you you're going to preach the gospel. When you have people doing this kind of doctrinal drift, preach the gospel. 
Uh, Paul does that when he says to the, the Corinthians, uh, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Do you not know this about yourself, that Christ is in you, unless indeed you, right. you fail the test? He talks about uh, ensuring that you're not cast away. John writes to a church, and he tells them that, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. And then what are those things? And he gives a series of tests, doctrinal tests, moral tests, relational tests. And he says, is this you? Are you a liar? Is the truth not in you? And so there's the recognition that even as you are committed to sound doctrine and doctrinal preaching and teaching, that you not neglect this work of evangelizing and gospelizing. Hmm. And so let me say, I I think that there are going to be some guys listening to this who are, you get some guys who are only like John 3.16 preachers, you know, who are only after decision. And so they don't ever build up the flock. I think the guys who are listening to us are going to be maybe a little bit more on the other side. And, and so we're, we're committed to doctrinal preaching. We're committed to edifying the flock, to shepherding the flock that is among us. To preach the whole Bible. Yeah, you preach yeah. the whole Bible, and then you recognize that there may be, among the professing sheep, there may be those who are not really converted, and so you need to address them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's a good church text. Uh, because as somebody professing faith, and they're going to get to the end and find out they've never been challenged, they've never recognized that there's not that fruit in their life that would see that they're a Christian. So you need to go after them. You need to go after the lost who may be visiting. But then I think we do understand this word in a more general sense, in the word that, in the way that it's used in regard to Philip, and I think in the way that Paul uses it in Ephesians four that there's also an, an outward gospelizing that goes on so, among the lost. So let me jump in and say that if you're listening to this, so this is not a, uh, an episode about how we're going to talk you through doing street preaching, and the, which is what a lot of people think just doing the work in evangelists is, is now a pastor supposed to go out and do this, this very cutting-edge evangelistic work. There's a lot more to this that we want to dig into as Jim has set this up from this, the pic- and this particular And to be clear, Brian, you're not denouncing that. I'm not denouncing that. I think that is great also. Right. But I'm, I'm addressing the a lot, of, a lot of people think that that's what the application of Paul's words are, mm-hmm. and there's so much more to it. Not just it is that, I think, right. but it is also a bunch of other things. So let's let's get dig into that. Let's kind of look at this in two pieces then based on what you have explained from the passage. Let's see, doing the work of an evangelist, a pastor is called, to do the work of an evangelist. That's clear there in that text. But let's see it in two pieces, that there is the part of a pastor does the work of an evangelist within his flock. Right. And then there's he's to do the work of an evangelist outside of his flock. Right. And so let's let's kind of tackle those two pieces. Let's let's distinguish them for, for those not expecting everybody to be able to do that. So within the flock is kind of what you were talking about. We have there are there are children who are unbelievers. There are people who are at risk of going apostate in the mm-hmm. in the flock. Right. Um, there are people who there are in pastors listening to this who have taken a church revitalization like context, where they take a, a long established church. Uh, like me, I came into a church where there was not just unconverted members, but there were unconverted members who were leaders in the church. So you know, there's all of these dynamics with within the church, um, and then outside the church is the more obvious place where we think of of evangelistic work. That, the, that a pastor would go do, going and just trying to build relationships with unbelievers and sharing the gospel with them, preaching publicly at the public gathering, knowing there's members and non-members there, there's right. believers and unbelievers that would come. 
and and that the, our preaching should be balanced, as you were alluding to earlier, that we should be preaching the Bible, but we also should be preaching in light of knowing there's there's potentially unbelievers uh, that are sitting in there. So how do we find that balance, Jim, in regard to, let's first talk about within the church, within the public gathering. Yeah. How do, how do we find that balance between we're shepherding the souls of our people who are truly are converted, and then we know there's unbelievers in our midst that we're to do the work of evangelists there? How do we right. find that? Well, again, Brian, I think it, it may be helpful if we translate the term and not just transliterate it, because I think we, when we say do the work of an evangelist, it's so narrow in some of our minds that that's only... You know, speaking of Billy Graham as an evangelist, right. uh, whoever, you know, whoever in your mind is an evangelist, this guy's a pastor, that guy's an evangelist, this guy preaches the whole Bible, this guy just preaches the gospel uh, under the point of decision, and that's evangelism, preaching the gospel preaching the personal work of Christ, justification by faith. Within cross. your sermon somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, for the evangelist, that is the That's primary, the message, right? you know. Yeah, so, right. boy, there's a lot to try to get into in this. I think when if we broaden it to this being uh, this idea of being a gospelizer, and thankfully, you know, there's been a resurgence of, of an understanding, and maybe sometimes to an almost, you know, funny degree. The word gospel has been in more titles of books in the last 10 years than it probably was in 2000 years uh, before then. You know, uh, how do you, you know, how do you, how do you gospelly drive your car? How do you gospelly eat an Oreo cookie? You know, that kind of an idea. And, but the idea is right in saying, listen, we ought to be gospel centric people. And that if, if Christ is the great uh, focal point of the scriptures and in all of our preaching, we're ultimately trying to find a way to, to bridge that gap in our teaching and preaching to get to the person and work of Christ, to expose people's hearts in regard to their sin, to the law of God, and then to the hope of the remedy of what God has given to us in Christ. So that ought to be a regular part of our teaching and preaching. Yes, the what, does that, what does that of, look like though, Jim? So, so right. So you're preaching on uh, whatever it is that you're preaching, you're, you're going to try to say, all right, in, in what way, is there a way that I can, in this text, without doing violence to this text, bring people to understand their need of a Savior, or if they're a believer, to remind them that they have a Savior? That's gospelizing, too, mm. to remind your heart when it's hurt and when it's troubled and exposed. So say you're preaching on the seventh commandment, or you're preaching on Jesus' statements about the penetrating power of the law in regard to lust and you're you're drawing application and you're showing you're showing people men and women boys and girls young people the sinful inclinations of their heart the passions of their heart and you're decrying that the bible says we're to expose those unfruitful deeds of darkness you don't just want to do that you don't want to just leave that raw gaping hole in somebody's life that you're a gross sinner you're on your way to hell for this cause the wrath and, of and god and you just leave them there it's going to yep. be poured out and you yep. need to remind people that those sins were laid upon the savior and that very naturally leads to the cross um i preached a week ago two weeks ago deuteronomy 16 on the uh the appointment of judges for the you know for the people of God and and so you're going to talk about things like well why did they need judges well there was a righteous standard that God had given right. God that they were to judge impartially they were not to receive bribes well you take that and then you you can apply that and say this tells us something about the strict justice of God there are 
inflexible, righteous laws that God has given. There, there is no partiality with God. God doesn't care if you're white or black, doesn't care if you're gay or straight. The, you know, the, this judgment is the same. You can't bribe God, but there is a way for the justice of God to be satisfied. Yeah, anytime depravity is brought yeah, out in right. your sermon so in the Bible, it gives you a chance right. to get there. And so that's in our, in our pastoral preaching. So you, well, let's take another example. You're preaching on being a father, or you're preaching on being a husband. I don't think there's many guys you're going you're gonna to preach those things on. They're going to feel like clicking their heels afterward and say, what a great guy I am, if you're preaching it faithfully. Because they're going to recognize their own hurt, their own failure, their own sin. And so you're going to need to talk to them about what do you, what do, you do with that failure. And that there is, again, you, you point them to Christ both in regard to his satisfying work where they have failed. He succeeded where they failed. You point them to the reality that in the gospel he also gives grace and empowerment to go forward so that you're not crushed under guilt. You have a fresh sense of forgiveness a new empowering, all of that is part of gospelizing, and but that's given to a believer because we say so often, believers need the gospel too. Yes, should we though address unbelievers in our sermon? Yes, I mean yes, I, I think so, and and I I think that it's an interesting thing that what Paul says. It's in uh, it's in First Corinthians where Paul is talking about. I think it's in First Corinthians. Paul's talking about the gifts, and he says, so you're talking about speaking in tongues and all the rest." And he says, you know, that there may be an unbeliever among you, and the unbeliever is going to think you're nuts. And he said, mm-hmm. you would rather that they all prophesy so that he might fall on his knees and confess of a truth. God is, God is among you. That's what you. But it's interesting there that Paul seems to be so saint-word in his understanding of the gathered church that he says, now remember, unbelievers might be there. And, and I want to say in light of that, just want to pause a moment. We are working under the presupposition that the Sunday morning public gathering of the church is primarily for believers. Right. Because, and I want to say that because some may be listening to this and aware of the debate of is a Sunday morning gathering supposed to be for Christians or is it right. supposed to be for non Christians? Right. And we just want to acknowledge that we certainly believe it's for Christians right. that unbelievers can come and see how Christians worship. And in the context of this topic, you want unbelievers in your church. You want right. them to feel loved and welcomed and want to be there because hopefully they will hear the truth of God, and, and the gospel at some point within the sermon Right, as well. so Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 1 about so the foolishness of the thing preached that people come to understand. They go from that place of believing the, that the cross is foolishness or a scandal to embracing it as the wisdom of God. Where did they hear that preaching? Yeah. Where was that preaching going forth? Well, in some cases it might have been in a synagogue, as Paul preached in a synagogue. It might have been in a place like Mars Hill which was a gathering for people to exchange ideas. And Paul had an open platform there. It might be as Paul is giving a defense, you know, all those different places where uh, Paul looked for an opportunity to, you know, to, to share the gospel. And, and we can do that too, but it may be in the regular course of the teaching and preaching right. of God's yeah. word that there is not just, this is what the Bible means. This is how we apply this as Christians, but, this exposes our sin, it shows us the reality of the coming judgment, and it points us to the only provision that God has made for sinners in Christ, because that's the heart of the gospel, justification by faith, rooted in the cross work and the empty tomb of Jesus, that those things come out. If they are indeed of first importance, as Paul indicates in 1 Corinthians 15, that ought to permeate 
a lot of our teaching and preaching ought to be there. Before we leave this part, I do want to say that I, I, call, I, I address unbelievers in my sermon often, not every single week, but when the text allows me to be able to do that. Don't miss when you do things like that publicly, you're, when you address an unbeliever, you're teaching the believers who are sitting there how to potentially address an unbeliever. There's there's yeah. all kinds of fruit that comes from that. But what I, I want to leave preaching a minute because I want to be able to get to this idea outside the church. Yeah. Before we do that, let's just throw out a couple of quick things. What are some practical ways to, in a sense, be a gospelizer, doing the work of an evangelist within our flock? I will. I would say one way I find that is is my intentional conversations with children. Mm-hmm. They look at me and see me as the pastor. There's a, their parents have taught them to respect me in that way, right. and, and and it gives an open door to have a, a spiritual conversation with them with a child who doesn't know Christ yet. So, right, what's that, a, that, I, that's good, I, and I, I would agree with that. Also, don't assume when somebody visits the church that they're a believer, mm-hmm. and even if they are come to you from another church, uh, talk to them about their faith. They'll tell me tell me where you stand with the Lord, and uh, um, tell me tell me something. Do you have a testimony, and what is that testimony? And you may find that it's it may be a very deficient in regard to its understanding of the gospel, or they come in and they're, yeah, we're Christians, we're members at so-and-so, and you find out they're living together or something like that, and you, you, all right, there, there is, okay, am I going to walk through that door? Yeah. Uh, one of the things, Brian, I am just now beginning to implement is to announce to the congregation that at least once a month I'm going to have a particular gospel-centered sermon. And we are making it part of our prayer and our prayer meeting regularly for the conversion of the lost. It's okay. a season in our prayer meeting. We're praying for yeah. our our outward reaching out. Everybody's witnessing opportunities. Some of the things we are intentionally doing as a church is a whole other matter because this is more directed toward us. But I thought, well, if we want to see sinners converted, then you need to you preach the standard of God's law, the reality of judgment, and the satisfaction of Christ. And so uh, once a month, second Sunday of the month is what I'm looking at. So it's coming up this coming Lord's Day. And so to preach something that people say, all right, I've been witnessing to somebody. This would be a great time. I know second Sunday of the month, yeah, he's not going to be preaching on, you know, six steps to this or, you know, whatever somebody might preach on uh, the Christian in politics or tithing or or you know so that's what you try to do so let's let's move to the outside the church side to this because i do believe that even in the context of second timothy 4 which says do the work in evangelist that the the gospelizing to unbelievers outside the church is part of that as well right so let's move there for our last bit and and i'll just throw out there just let's just go ahead and dive into the the, the practical sides of this um i uh, I do a couple things that I do that we started knocking on doors again. We even just met as as pastors and said, "Look, we, we just we need to, there's more we need to be doing just to get out and to try to meet people and have mm-hmm. conversations and stop and not talk about it so much." And so we started. Uh, we we take a a Sunday night once a once a month and we go out and try to knock on doors mm-hmm. through the neighborhoods and and meet people and just try to engage people and. I realize that the pastors are the ones that had to lead this, right? And then the other church members have have come along, and it's been it's been fruitful time for us to just get out and press into right. that. Uh, another thing that I try to do and is be really intentional about the place. I go to the same places in town to try to engage the same people. I go mm-hmm. to the same bank. I go to the same grocery store. I go to the same you know uh, gym or whatever it is, and 
I, I was taught this years ago that you go and build relationships and potentially try to have uh, right. spiritual conversations with unbelievers. That's one of the best ways to do it. There's a couple of things that have been helpful. And as a pastor, you can those are things you can go and engage. And when somebody finds out you're a pastor, you know God can do unique things in that conversation that maybe somebody else wouldn't. So what about other things to think about with the, going outside the church, Jim? Yeah, I, I, well, obviously, I think the two things you have to look at is what we, what we will do relationally— and then what we might strive to do more, you know, intentionally. So there's a difference between building a relationship at the gym, which is something I've tried to do, or through baseball or through theater, through relationships with the kids, or mm-hmm. walking with your dog. And one of the reasons I bought, I had a dog was so that people would talk to me. Poor Rupert. Yeah. And the other thing, I tried to borrow babies, the other thing I would do, but, you know, because people talk to you if you have a baby. I have a dog you can you borrow dog, if you would like. Okay. We can have another if conversation have dog, about that. If you have a dog, you will have far greater opportunities to have a conversation. That's a good point. There really was there was something intentional That's a good about point. that. Yeah. Uh, where you live, you know, I mean, I don't want to get in, step on anybody's toes, but, you know, sh- should you live on 15 acres, associ- you know, disassociated from everybody? And only be in your own little like homeschool co-op, and everything you do is is you, know, you go to the Christian laundromat, and you have the person from the church cut your hair, and yeah, uh, so that you do build those intentional relationships. But then ask yourself, is there something more I could do? And that's when it gets into the ideas. Is uh, and what what about street preaching? What about uh, you know? And that's not I'm talking about because this you do the work of an evangelist, not getting the church to do it, not getting yeah. other people to do it. So, but what is it that you personally try to do? And ask yourself: Are there venues or avenues that I can do to be more? Be, you know, because people aren't lost. People are not coming to our churches in droves. They're out there, and you know there there is the so there's lobster traps out in the sea, and then there's the lobster tank. Uh, the lobster tank at the restaurant where you pick your lobster is more like our, our preaching at church, going out there and looking for ways to to engage sinners. And so I think really we I think this is a discussion. I don't know we're not going to solve anything here today, but I think it ought to be stirred up. You ought to be thinking. Be careful about what binds or bloodies your conscience. You want that to be in accordance with God's word. Mm. Uh, but listen to others. Find out what others are doing. Exhort each other. Encourage each other. Be willing to be challenged. Here's my final word, and I actually think this example, it's its one bore a lot of fruit in my own life as a pastor, but I think it's a great example of how a pastor uniquely can be a gospelizer in the world uh, to do in the, the work of an evangelist. Um, and that is to to go and do funerals for unbelievers. Mm. And, you know, you know this. I've done probably 100 to 150 funerals of people right. I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. And, and over the course of about 15 years, go to find the local funeral home in your town. Yeah. And meet the director and go to them, say, Pastor so-and-so, I pastor this church. If you have anybody come through who needs a pastor or somebody to do the service, I'll be glad yeah, to volunteer my service. And there's, I've been able to preach the gospel hundreds of times um, to a room full of unbelievers. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just hard to, it's just amazing the conversations that have come out of that. A regular person isn't going to get those opportunities. Right. Pastors uniquely right. have that opportunity to get. Yeah. So I would encourage you to do as many funerals as you can. <laughs> preach the gospel yeah. at, at, at every single one of them. Make that clear. And, and try to find opportunities with, with funeral homes. You'd be amazed. Most funeral homes are desperate to find somebody who can work with families well, who are good with people, and can can 
do a, a funeral in a, in a very competent way. So yeah. that is one way I think that bridges this gap of, of pastor doing the work of an evangelist. Yeah. So. I've done it at weddings too. In fact, in weddings. Quickly, I, I actually Absolutely. one time I had a, I had a couple of unbelievers come by and knocked on our church door and asked if they could use our sanctuary and then found out that they didn't have anybody to do the service. I said, asked if I'd do it. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do it if. Yeah. Yeah, I said, right. if you will allow me an opportunity to take five to ten minutes in the midst of the sermon, a service to preach to those who are gathered there. So I, I had like 150, 200 uh, unconverted folks. That's a great sitting, example. Sitting in the church. It's, it's a great example. I, yeah, I don't, I, that could, again, I could open a whole can of worms about wow. how you do that, but that was an opportunity I took, and I'm well, thankful I did. That would maybe be a different podcast episode we could talk about, but I, I know this is a debate issue, but I agree with it. I think... If, if a wedding that you state clearly, this is what I'll do the wedding if you let me do this. There's some listening to this who probably would say that that a pastor should only do weddings of believers. Right. But I'm with you. I, I think on case by case situations, but that has to be one of the criteria because of the opportunity to preach the gospel. So, Jim, we're out of town, though. Would you, we could go a whole lot more places with this, but would you just take a minute and pray for the pastors who are listening to this? That they would find a way to balance this, this, yeah. and see that this is part of the noble work we have to do the work in evangelists, to be a gospelizer in our churches in different ways, but also outside. We yeah. pray in that way. Yeah, we'll do. Father, thank you for this time to stir each other up. We are encouraged in your word to provoke one another to love and good works, and pray, Father, that this discussion might be uh, helpful to a pastor who has been uh, negligent in these areas or is wrestling with how to fulfill this calling. Father, we, we know we can't answer everything, but we pray that it would be at least stir up discussion among brethren about how to carry on this great work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.